Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. This Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. And there'll be a link to that collection in the show notes. My aim during this Teaching From Home podcast series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There'll be technology-focused episodes, just like this one, showing just how remote teaching could work for you. But also, there'll be episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home. I'd recommend checking out the Joe Morgan episode for more on that. Then there are issues of safeguarding, differentiation, mindset and more that come up across all the episodes. We'll be hearing from maths teachers, teachers of other subjects and primary school teachers. There'll be teachers from the UK and, as we'll hear from today, overseas. My aim is that there'll be something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. This time around, I spoke to Dan Piercy, a maths teacher from the UK who now teaches in Switzerland. Dan is one week ahead of the UK in terms of having to adapt to distance learning and shares his perspective on using technology such as Google Meets and Poll Everywhere to try and recreate his classroom teaching online. Now, whilst many listeners might not be able to, nor want to, recreate such a setup for reasons similar to those discussed with Joe Morgan on a previous episode, I believe Dan's five principles for online learning will be valuable to all listeners. Oh, and just before we crack on, there's a point in the episode when Dan is interrupted by the noise of a lawnmower and has an altercation with his neighbour. I must stress that Dan and his neighbour are good friends and that no neighbours, nor indeed no, no lawnmowers, were harmed in the production of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and find it useful. And please, as ever, stay safe. Okay, Dan, so welcome to the podcast. And to kick things off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Absolutely. Um, Well, very nice to be on, firstly, Craig. Um, But yeah, I'll kick things off. So uh, I started teaching on Teach First in in Greater Manchester. Um, But after two years, that that, that school uh, unfortunately closed down uh, to become an academy. And so I was then really fortunate to be able to uh, contrast that. It was I think it was the lowest attaining school in Greater Manchester at the time. And I was very lucky to get then to get get a job at a very high attaining school in Greater Manchester, um, and um, and on the first day of the job, actually, I just I just thought on the first, I had the peak of my career, very peak. In fact, I've just realised maybe this is now the peak of my <laughs> maybe things are all downhill from here. But no, I was going to say that everything was all downhill from there. 
at the very peak of that in that school. But uh, given time restraints, I won't I won't talk about that. Maybe I can take to Twitter later on that. Um, anyway, um, and then we, we we actually decided to then move abroad. My wife is is what you call a, a third culture kid. I think that's the right term for it, like an adult third culture kid. Um, and that, that basically means that she moved around a lot to different countries as a child. And she's still a massive mover, whereas I'm a massive settler. And uh, somehow she managed to convince me to, to go abroad, to teach abroad. So we agreed on some terms. We agreed on, um, on no more than two years and, and it couldn't be further than Paris. Um, and that turned into a few years in Sao Paulo, actually, in the international school in Sao Paulo. I still have no idea how that happened. Um, but now, anyway, we've been in Switzerland now for about eight years. Most of that time I was in senior leadership and I was head of maths. But once again, that school abruptly closed down at the end of last year, very unfortunately. Um, but I, was, I got lucky once again. I got a job teaching maths full time again which has been absolutely awesome. Um, and it's also freed up some time to do other maths-related things. Um, so since September, I've been doing um, quite a bit of work on the side, making online videos for an IB Diploma Maths site called InThinking. And uh, that's, that's turned out to be very helpful over the last three weeks. And, um, and I've also ran the Swiss Maths Conference for the last three years, uh, which, is, which is in fact something that you yourself presented at <laughs> before I started running it. So, yeah. So quite a, quite a diverse set of experiences so far. Fantastic. And just just give us a bit of a, a, an overview of your school that you're currently at, Dan. Um, numbers of kids, ages you teach, backgrounds and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, no problems. Uh, so I'm currently world, uh, working at a, I, I can only describe it as a kind of top class ideal world school. It's absolutely fantastic. It's the International School of Lausanne in Switzerland. Um, we've got lots of lots of students from lots of different countries around the world. So it's a very vibrant environment where we really try to celebrate the differences between cultures. Um, the age range is three to 18 years old and there's about a thousand students in total across the age range. Um, and all students have have quite high access to tech, I should say. So all students have laptops or tablets. Most students would have like a high tech phone. So I'm, I'm very aware that, uh, especially during this time, that we're incredibly privileged in our position for online learning. Fantastic. Superb. Well, um, we've loads to talk about, Dan. I want to tap into your, into your experiences on this. Um, so to start off with, um, I'm fascinated by guest structure of their day. Um, well, what time does your day start? When, when do you factor in breaks? When does it end? When do you do your preparation time? And is there any conflict with kind of family responsibilities with, with everyone being at home? Yeah, um, so school day, um, not actually too dissimilar in terms of a normal school structure. Uh, for one, we, we, we follow exactly the same timetable, for one. Um, and although every every morning all teachers post work or announcements, uh, and that's before 8.15 on Google Classroom, which uh, we've all been using Google Classroom for quite some time, which has been helpful. Um, and um, we don't always teach live lessons, even though we, we go through the normal timetable. Um, via school policy, we alternate between live lessons and, and non-live lessons. So we have one live lesson using a Google Meet, and that should be live for about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and then we set work for the rest of the lesson for the students to get on with. Um, and then the next lesson is not live. So we, we just set work, but we are expected to be available online to answer questions if they're um, while they're working and if they've got any problems. Uh, we still have staff meetings, uh, mass meetings via Google Meet. So everything's very similar structurally to uh, a normal school day. Um, and so uh, clearly, clearly that regarding your question to answer the other, another part of your question, clearly that presents kind of completely different challenges to, to different staff members, um, huge challenges to especially those with kids, uh, simply through sheer luck. 
my wife, who, who also teaches, she teaches English, um, she's on maternity leave right now. <laughs> and, um, and so she's doing the, the kind of the wide majority of the childcare um, throughout the normal school day. We've, we've got a three-year-old and an eight-week-old. Um, so if she wasn't on maternity leave, I, I, I have no idea. How, how we'd be able to cope to be honest with you. Do you get a sense from your other colleagues who are in a position with kids um, how they how they're coping with having to stick to the normal school day? Because this is one thing that's coming through. I was speaking to to Joe Morgan in an episode that'll go out before this one, and she was saying to me that she just wouldn't be able to do it because she's got two young kids at home and she's the the primary caregiver whilst her whilst her husband's out at work. Um, I imagine there will be lots of teachers in your school in in similar positions. Dan, do you get a sense of how they're coping with it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think I think there are when you say lots, actually, I'm not sure how many there are with kind of where both both people have to work and there are there are one or more, more than one child. Um, there are certainly a few cases like that. And and I know that the school, our school in particular, uh, the leadership have been exceptional, at kind of uh, reaching out to, the, to, to everybody and saying, if you've got any problems, please let us know. We'll work with you on this. Um, I, I think I mean, obviously, it's incredibly difficult for everyone. But I do, I do hope. Um, I know I've got some friends around the world and things in, in lots of different international schools and in the UK as well. But I do hope the school leaders kind of rise to this challenge and uh, protect their staff. Maybe even relax policies for for those kids that, that can't balance childcare and, and their professional responsibilities. Um, yeah, it's really complex, and uh, but it's got to be essential to also protect staff well-being um, as well. I think. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the content you're covering, Dan, are you just continuing with the scheme of work or have you adapted it in any way? Um, this, is, this, is, this is quite a funny one, actually, because I listened to the, the podcast with Ben last week and, um, and he very wisely said that he, he, cause he was uh, doing circle theorems uh, for, with year 10 and he decided to clear, steer clear from that. <laughs> and um, and they're also coming up for my year 10. And I didn't do that. I didn't stay clear from it, um, which probably sounds, makes you sound like a complete nutter. Um, but to be fair, uh, yeah, we have discussed it as a department. Um, I think because, because we knew there was a considerable amount of, of live teaching involved in our learning policy, I think it, it puts us at a very different place to kind of the alternative of non-live teaching. Um, so if we didn't have live lessons yet, yeah, I definitely think about changing the scheme of work. Um, especially to cover concepts, concepts with less intrinsic load than circle theorems. Um, <laughs> but because of the live lessons, we've chosen to keep the same sequence for now and, uh, and just go slower. Just be aware that everyone's going to go a bit slower. Got it. And it fascinates me this, Dan, that you, um, and this is this is one of the one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on the show, because I know you've got experience with, with teaching these live lessons. Um, how come your school's made this decision to essentially do it 50-50? What, if, if you've got the technology out there, how, how come you're not doing all live lessons? Yeah, I think I think that was partly um, a staff well-being thing. So as, as we said before, with those staff members that have kids and are going to struggle to juggle all of this, um, at least then, you know, there's some wiggle room there. Um, in terms of alternating. Um, in fact, I think that was probably the main decision there. It was, it was very much a staff wellbeing thing. And, uh, and also, I think, um, hopefully as well, in some cases, to get students offline a bit. Mm. You know, um, when you're not on a live lesson, you could be doing something, um, you, could be, you could be putting something together, um, you know, in, in a completely different way. So I think wellbeing, maybe for everyone, maybe for students and staff. 
Got it. Fantastic. Well, well, let's dive into the teaching and learning itself now, Dan, and let's do both sides of this. I'm interested in what one of the live lessons looks like, but I'm also interested in the work that you're setting in these alternate lessons as well. So let's let's do the live lessons first. Um, talk me through it. I'm particularly interested in the technology you're using. What are the students using? How you structure the lesson? You just talk me through it and I'll probably interrupt at annoying points just to dig a little bit deeper. No, yeah, no problem. Um, so I, I kind of, I, I will go for a, a sequential kind of structure of what I do from starting starting an online lesson to ending it. Um, but I think also because we're all using different software, which is becoming very clear cut, people using Teams, Google Meet, Zoom as well. Um, then, and we all have completely different learning online learning policies as well. I thought that I'd try and quickly go through a structure, but also then try and provide some kind of principles of teaching and learning online. Um, and I will, I, I have to say, I'm clearly no expert, obviously. Um, and I should also say that I, I know that there are many people listening that just might not, might have, not have any feasible way to implement some of these things. Um, it's simply what I found to be important in my context. And, uh, and also to clarify, um, this is what, this is what, and what I'm going to describe is when everything goes right. <laughs> yes. tech. Um, one tech issue and sometimes it's just game over basically. So, um, so this is when things go right. Sounds um, good. <laughs> so I'll try and I'll try and kind of give a bit of a sequence quickly and then go into a few principles that I think are important. Um, so, yeah, so with my context. Uh, so for a live lesson, um, students enter Google Meet with the grid view extension. And that means that all their videos are turned on. Their mics are off. So I can see a grid of all the students in their rooms ready for learning uh, straight away when they log on. And I can take the register quickly. Um, Depending on, on like the exact start that I choose, because that, that changes every now and again, I, I can come back to that later. Um, we could then be on the Google Meet for one to three, one, about one to three minutes um, before I then move on to a PowerPoint. Obviously, the Google Meet is still running. Um, and I then start a PowerPoint video recording. And uh, what I can do, because I've been doing online, on, online um, lessons for quite some time, is I can then use my stylus pen on my screen to teach a lesson live. Um, and then it's just relatively similar to a normal lesson, quick starter, um, but very short, efficient episodes of instruction in which students don't ask questions. Um, and I pause at specific moments to essentially take questions. Um, they just turn their mic on and do so. But often there isn't that much because that many questions because you're, you're doing a short, efficient sequence and then you're letting them ask questions. Um, for formative assessment, um, I use a, like a combination of like individual cold calling. So I do quite a lot of cold calling. They just turn their mic. I just, I just ask a question and then I say mic on Clara or mic on Ryan, for example, and that they would then give an answer. And, uh, but for all, for whole class responses, um, I use, I use an absolutely unbelievable app. It's called Poll Everywhere. Um, which basically allows you to, to give like multiple choice diagnostic questions just throughout the lesson, essentially. Well, um, just, can I just ask a couple of things on this, Dan? Because this is fascinating stuff. This. So, um, yeah. just to clarify, all your kids are do, watching this on laptops. Would that be right, or is it a combination of laptops and tablets? What What are the devices? Yeah, yeah, mainly laptops, I would say. Yeah, got it. And um, and you're running a PowerPoint. And you're doing this again. I'm, I'm not an expert. But well, I'm very much a novice when it comes to um, Google learning suites and stuff. This is all being done through um, Google, the Google Meet. Is that right? They're, they're yeah, watching exactly. this. Got exactly. it. Got it. So once they kind of log on at the start or, or open up the session, they don't then have to hop out to go anywhere else. It's all being no. run within this single session. Is that right? Exactly. So I, when I present my screen to them, 
then I then go I, I then kind of go off the Google Meet tab to go into a PowerPoint, essentially. Got it. And then they can see your screen, but they're just looking exactly. at the same thing. Got it. And you exactly. mentioned that you're doing this this PowerPoint and you've got a stylus um, and, a, and, a, and a, a tablet. Is that right? Um, I've just got actually a stylus that I can just put straight onto my screen, onto my laptop screen. Nice. I yeah, got it. Got nice. it. Got it. So essentially you're just replicating kind of a whiteboard in a classroom and, and, and teaching it in a, in a similar way that you normally would. Would that be fair? Yeah. Yeah. Very fair. Got it. Got it. All right. And then uh, the other thing I'm interested in, because assessment for learning is one of the big things that, that keeps coming up. Just tell me a little bit more about this app. This this what was it? Poll poll everywhere. Yeah. And does that integrate into into Google uh, into the Google Meet as well? So what that does is um, so I, I mean, so essentially it's poll, P-O-L-L, poll everywhere. And uh, and so what you do is you download it uh, and it can it can integrate either into PowerPoint, Google Slides or Keynote. So when you download it, it just turns up as an add in into your PowerPoint. Nice. And then when you're making a presentation, you just um, as, as soon as you want to actually ask a live question that you want responses to. Then you just you click insert on the poll everywhere button at the top of your PowerPoint, make the multiple choice question. It goes straight in there. And then um, when you know when you are when you activate your slideshow and you go on to that question during your lesson, then uh, one second, I can just I can hear a, a big lawnmower coming. Oh, no, we love we love these kind of things. We'll keep this <laughs> in. Don't worry. This is the reality. What are you doing? I'm on a podcast here. Yeah? This is the reality of teaching at home, Dan. This is yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so, yeah, so where was it? So, yeah, so once you activate your slideshow, your PowerPoint slideshow, then, um, then as soon as you go onto the question, that question is then activated for them. So they have an account, which obviously you would encourage them to, to download the app themselves on a laptop, sometimes mobile, mobile devices, but I encourage them to do it on the laptop for obvious reasons. They have an account. As soon as you go on to that question, it then the, the poll everywhere then activates. Nice. So so they then see that question on their screen. Um, what I do so that so that kind of the, the less confident learners aren't being swayed by the more confident responses, uh, the quick responses. I then go off that screen on my own PowerPoint, give them a few minutes to answer the question, go back on and then we can start analyzing the responses and kind of move on accordingly from there basically wow that's and again this is this is all ways to replicate the kind of strength of having a class full of kids in front of you and being able to see their responses and respond accordingly it's it's all it's this seems to be one of the biggest challenges trying to replicate that in this teaching and learning from home environment and that sounds like a really smart way to do that dan and the kids seem to like that bit of it yeah, they do. I mean, not in the, with, with the Polaro app, you can do so many things. So you can ask for feedback at the end of your presentation and uh, they can give you kind of ratings on how you present things, hopefully good ones. Um, and uh, and you can ask them, like, you know, how, how was the lesson? How can I improve for next time? So the, the Poll Everywhere app is exceptional. It allows you to do lots of things. It even has kind of emotion scales. So at the start of the lesson, you can ask them like how they're feeling today and stuff. Um, it's, it's In fact, I'd go as far as saying, that I do, I probably do more formative assessment in these online lessons than I do in a normal lesson, <laughs> which is pretty, which is pretty crazy. I can't believe I'm saying that. I never would have expected it. And um, yeah, that's so. fascinating. And um, so, yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you there, Dan. Get, keep going with the lesson, then. So I'm, I'm, I've, I've got my head round that you can do the worked examples and the modelling and the cold calling using yeah. the combination of PowerPoint and also through this, through this Google Meet. And then I like the formative assessment using the poll everywhere. And um, what's happening when you're kind of setting the kids off to do a bit of work on their own? How, how does that work? 
Yeah. So so when kind of when when at the end of kind of live teaching, I would then I would then kind of clarify expectations around the task, turn off turn off the video, go back onto Google Meets, and then uh, then provide one more opportunity for them to ask questions. Um, they they tend to have more questions. Um, so then what they do is they put the letter Q in the chat bar if they've got a in, in Google Meet. And so when there are Qs, I would then say mic on mic on Danny, mic on um, Noah, whoever it is, uh, and then they ask questions. Most students then leave the Google Meet. I stay online, and if anyone has problems then with the task that I've set, then they come back uh, to talk to me about those issues. I also sometimes, uh, to be fair, I also sometimes ask specific students to stay online um, if I think they might struggle. Got yeah. it. And what, what do these tasks look like, Dan? Um, so just, just a, a huge a, a huge range of tasks. Um, obviously, um, the kind of standard ones, I would say, and this is often what I would say in a non-live lesson as well, uh, good old my, my maths, or we, we use my I maths in the international sector, <laughs> and, um, and Dr. Frost maths, of course. Thank you so much, Dr. Frost. <laughs> um, so, uh, but then there's, there's, there's so many other tasks that I try and set. Um, obviously, um, it's quite important to try and set some offline tasks as well. Um, so um, we, yesterday, the students were video recording their own mini distance time graphs with toys wow. um, around, around the house. Uh, we had Smarties as coordinates for, to make to make straight line graphs. Um, what else? Making cylinders for for, um, for surface area of nets. Uh, yeah, just just lots of kind of lovely little tasks like that. Um, back online, I'm just trying to think of other things like Desmos activities are just are just unreal. Uh, so good. And also now that they've got the feedback in the moment feature, that's um, that's incredibly helpful. So, yeah, lot, lots of different tasks, I would say. But I'd say the standard ones were, were my maths, my maths and Dr. Frost maths. And would that be the same, Dan, if you were doing um, the kind of other 50 percent of your teaching where you're, you're, you're assigning work? And would, would they it wouldn't be any different, would it not? Would it be a similar, similar kind of thing? Or do you have something different for those um, entire lessons that don't involve live teaching? Yeah, that's pretty similar. I mean, obviously, um, the kind of the, there is more workload and, and more planning involved in this scenario, in this online scenario. So, you know, where, where you can get a few little quick wins, it's it's, it's essential. So, with my with my maths and Dr. Frost maths, of course, it marks it for you. Mm, uh, yes. and, and then you can then you can just concentrate on whole whole class feedback rather than rather than just reams and reams of individual feedback. Um, so. You know, it's, it's, you've got to take the wins where you can, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> and would that be then, that be your main um, form of feedback, would it? You're not kind of marking individual work um, because you're trying to set as much as you can using these platforms that mark mark automatically. And you, you're then, what, what would it be? Kind of at the start of the next live teaching session, would that be when you'd be doing a bit of whole class feedback or would you be doing it um, some other way? Yeah, I'd be doing a lot of, so, I mean, if there's, if there's kind of, uh, let's say five students out of, you know, let's, five students out of 25, for example, that have struggled with a my, my math task, then what I would do is during non-live lesson time, I would ask all of those students to come back. I usually just pop an email to all of them just saying, I know this is an online lesson, but I'd like you to come back so that we can go through this together more slowly and you can have maybe another go at the task. Um, yeah for everyone else they are they are just they, they will be moving on with a different task got it got it and um, two other questions just on this before i let you just share a few general principles dan um yeah. is, differ is differentiation a concern and is it even possible in this this environment um yeah good question um so for, for one of the questions you asked me a bit later on when I, you know when i was skimming through the ones that, that you sent across 
I've got I've got something there about differentiation. Oh, you're teasing um, so, us a bit here, aren't so you? I'm, I'm teasing, teasing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I like it, I like it. Okay, well, um, see, see if you'll answer this one then. What about um, safeguarding? And the reason I bring this up is um, what, I, what I'm increasingly beginning to realise, having spoke to teachers as part of this series, is that just the whole thought of having been essentially videoing into kids homes so you know kids are sat in their bedrooms or whatever and the videos are on for these live teaching sessions it's just a bit of a non-starter for for some schools and for some teachers is that an issue for for you your students in your school or are other ways around this then yeah it's a good question um and i have thought about it of course um it, it, it does, to some extent, appear in our, our online policy. Um, but to be fair, we, we have a very clear online policy that, that tells us how we should start a lesson with all, all, our, all, our, um, all, the, all the students' videos on when they're in their room. So, um, so I'm very much following school policy here. Um, and, so, and so I kind of, I've, I've kind of um, let that go a little bit because I, I want to follow school policy. I want to follow the consistent structures that we're all following. And so um, and my job as a teacher is to try to deliver content and try and get them enthusiastic about maths and things to the best of my ability in, in this platform. So that's what I'm trying to concentrate on, basically. I can see it being a big issue, especially for, for leadership. I, I understand why it is so. But for me, I'm just I'm, I'm simply trying to do the, the, the best job that I can with the, with the policy that I've been given. Got it. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned you had some general principles, Dan. Is, is now the time to share those with us? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could I could tease it up. I could, uh, I could wait a bit longer. <laughs> <under>, but... <laughs> yeah. um, no, if we've got time, then yeah, I will uh, I will I will go into the, to a few principles. Um, uh, that took me a bit longer to describe than than I thought it would. So uh, no, it's good. It's good. But yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll yeah I'll go through these these principles a bit quicker if I can. Um, and I've actually got them written down here so that hopefully I can go 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 through these as quick as possible. So I've got five of them here. Um, and hopefully, you know, some of them will be very obvious, um, but and some of them might might not be so obvious. And like I said before, I'm very aware that some of them just might not be feasible for certain people. So, um, so yeah. Um, but I think that they're still important to to share and think about. Uh, so, principle one um, is that I've kind of called it: good learning is good learning, no matter what the medium. Um, I think if it's feasible, then we've got to try not to set anything online that you wouldn't normally set in a normal classroom environment. And I know that sometimes isn't feasible for a lot of people. But um, but I mean, ultimately, if people can't uh, can't do a ta- wouldn't be able to do a task in the classroom environment, then, you know, it's difficult to think about setting it in, in, a, in a non-classroom environment with no direct teacher oversight and no, no kind of peer support as well. Um, principle two. Um, to re-clarify expectations and provide provide full clarity on tasks. So um, very much treating it like it's a new academic year, essentially. Um, so clarify expectations, clarify tasks with essentially, I think, 10 times or even 100 times more specificity than normal. <laughs> and, uh, and also, um, you definitely need real clarity on what happens if they aren't able to complete a task as well. Um, so just, just be very aware of that. Um, principle three. Um, place high importance on relatedness. So I think man, many of us, many, uh, many people know about Desi and Ryan's self-determination theory. Um, competence or success definitely seems to have taken care of a front line in recent years from a maths ed standpoint. And, um, and I, I very much agree with that. I think it's, I think it's on point. 
Uh, obviously, autonomy and relatedness, the other two, um, are also, you know, they're key drivers of intrinsic motivation as well. But it's, it's possible, um, given the kind of luxurious position we've been in for so long, that I think they might have underestimated the role of relatedness in learning. Um, and by that, I, I mean, like how you relate to the teacher in the classroom and how you, you relate to the other students in the room as well. Um, and it's only now that, that we can't relate as easily that we, we realize how important it is. Um, so what does all that mean? I, I think it means that you've got to find a way to continue to relate to students, possibly even have uh, possibly even more so than kind of a normal classroom environment, actually. Um, so what I've done is I've kind of I've put pictures up of my wife cutting my hair <laughs> to laugh at me or even my daughter trying to cut my hair as well. Um, I'm also planning to use some of the mass jokes that, uh, that Joe Morgan posted, I think, yesterday, maybe, or today. Uh, planning to use some of those. I think it's a great idea. Um, so, well, yeah, lots more humour, more anecdotes of personal lockdown issues. Uh, and on the flip side, that means also generating more feedback on how they're getting on as well. And, and crucially trying to relate to that feedback as well. Um, so that's number three, relatedness. Uh, principle four, I think, uh, you know, we've got to do our best to strive for active learning and collaboration. So um, I think to reduce the very strong possibility that students become very passive recipients of content. Um, I think, you know, there are so many tech tools out there, Paul Everywhere I've already described. Edpuzzle is another absolutely brilliant one. Um, quizzes, Kahoot, um, you know, they all provide very good, very good active formative assessment and interactivity between yourself and the students. Um, and then for collaboration, um, I think it is just, it's got to be a huge worry to most people. It's one of my big worries. The students just aren't interacting that yes. much throughout the day. So um, so I, I actually do just this quite informally. Um, so I'm just continually encouraging the students to start their own Google Meet and to cl collaborate on a task or, or to just to, you know, to have a WhatsApp buddy to check answers with, for example. I'm not directly there kind of, you know, overseeing that, but I'm not, I'm not directly there in the evening either or the weekends or, you know, so um, I, I don't see a huge issue with al allowing them to kind of collaborate with each other with me not being able to directly oversee that. Um, of course, it means that some of them might not be quite on task, but I will see what, what work they upload at the end of the lesson and I will, I will chase that up if I need to. Um, so, yeah. So I think that active learning collaboration key during this time. Having said that, having said all that, um, I do know that for, for some people, um, all this software kind of can sound quite overwhelming. Um, you know, even, even I feel quite overwhelmed by it and I, I don't, I don't mind kind of trialing it. I get quite excited about trialing it. Um, but a colleague of mine kind of recently really reminded me of that. And, um, I think, and he's, I think he said, right, he said, if it does overwhelm you, Pick one or two to focus on, yes. and uh, if you can keep that to keep up the case. And the last principle here: um, there is an I in online learning. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so Michael Pershing, who I think was he was on the podcast, was he on the podcast um, very just just a few days ago? Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. And I and I I'm, I'm going to listen to that tonight. I haven't had a chance to listen to that now, so I don't want to. I hope I'm not repeating anything that he said, um, but. Um, I, I read one of his blogs. Some of his blogs have been ex excellent. Um, and I've got a quote here from his blog. Um, I think it's from someone called Justin Reich or Reich. I think I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he said, when I talk to the best full time virtual school teachers, they say they spend a considerable portion of time following up with individual kids. Mm. And uh, it's that individual thing that I think you can sometimes forget when you're just talking to a screen. Um, so. 
you know, following up with individuals. Um, and like I said, I think I said this before, I think if you're following up with individuals a lot, which I personally am, I think something's going to reduce somewhere else. So it might be that your individual feedback then, then, then gets cut a little bit. But I think following up with individuals, both from an academic perspective, but also a well-being perspective, is absolutely key. Um, and obviously, obviously there's del delicate, delicate balance there. You still want to give some individual feedback, but hopefully you get the point there. So, um, so that's all of them. Um, to sum up, I guess, uh, just, just, I'm just personally trying to take a very clinical approach to the, to the live lessons, but a very kind of warm approach to the interactions with students and, and hopefully those, the principles kind of highlight that. Fantastic. Superb, Dan. Just give us those one to five one more time. Just give us the headline, headline principles. Um, I, I will do it if I can remember them. <laughs> <laughs> Not that memorable. I need mean, more memorable names. Um, so principle one is, uh, is good learning is good learning, no matter yep. what the medium. Principle two, re-clarify expectations and provide full, full clarity on tasks. Principle three, place high importance on relatedness. Principle four, strive for active learning and collaboration if you can. And principle five, there is an I in, in online learning. Fantastic stuff, Dan. And, and as you said, it's, it's a really important point to, to make. Um, you're not claiming that, that your scenario is the same for every every teacher around, but those principles are really good ones to bear in mind, whatever constraints teachers face. That's fantastic, that, Dan. Um, so just to summarise, um, just a few questions here. What, what's working well for you in this, Dan? Um, yeah, OK. So, um, look, I mean, first of all, lowering expectations on how much work can get done. I think is, you know, you've just got to set that bar a bit lower straight away. Um, where also as a school policy, we're not setting extra homework outside of kind of live lesson time or non-live lesson time. Um, students are on screens long enough as it is throughout the day. Um, I think like, the formative assessment is, um, is uh, that surprised me actually the most. I just, I had, I was very, I was incredibly worried about it before the school, um, you know, closed to go into online learning. But I, I'm, I am amazed at how interactive it can be under under my specific context. And I know this is a very specific one. Um, but, yeah, also, I think, um, I think, you know, it puts you in a position as well where I was talking before about the novel activities and the offline activities. It it's put you, puts you in a position where you've really got to be quite, quite creative. With, with how you do things, things that I wouldn't normally do in a lesson. Or I don't even have the resources for, um, but they might have, like I said, a toy at home or, you know, or Smarties or even rocks outside or something to make coordinates on a coordinate grid. Um, yeah, so I think certain things are going well at that. I've also done, I've also done a bit of asking students to write their own questions, um, which they then submit on Google Classroom. And then I put kind of specific questions from, you know, let's say 10 of them. I put them into a live game of Kahoot. So we have a, a live game of Kahoot at the end of the week. Make a note of that so that people get, get a little prize at, when we get back, whenever that might be. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so um, lots of things like that working, working well. Lots of things working well, I would say. Um, lots of things not working well <laughs> as well. Yeah, well, give us, give us some of those. And I'm wondering when this, this differentiation teaser is going to pay off, Dan. Is, is this where it's going <laughs> to play, maybe? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it off now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it till the end now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, with what's not working well, I mean, there, there are, of course, lots of things that, that don't work well. But I say when there's, when there's a tech hitch, I mean, it's just, yeah, it can be just so, so frustrating for everyone involved. Um, but I did, I, I had I had one moment, I thought, I'd, I've been thinking a lot about whether I can share this, but I'm going to do, do it anyway. I had a moment where it took me straight back to feeling like an NQT again. 
Um, <laughs> so basically, um, so with my family, we've got a shared Facebook Messenger, and uh, and which we, we barely ever use. We just barely ever communicate with each other. Um, <laughs> but um, but when we all went into lockdown, then this started firing away left, right, and centre. And uh, anyway, I was teaching an online lesson for year eleven, and I noticed a ping on my desktop. Um, so obviously, you know, I'm going to look over that, and um, and it's a message. It's a message from my mum that's that's clearly laid out on that on on the kind of my, my PowerPoint screen that's come up as a as a Facebook Messenger, um, and it says something like, um, "Good morning, my darling son. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful day." Lots of love, mummy. Oh no! <laughs> so, so I'm panicking. Um, and so, I mean, first of all, what's happened to my mum? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. She's she's incredibly caring. You know, love your mum to bits. But um, she's never referred to me in that way. She's never even referred to herself as mummy before. Um, <laughs> so, so what's happened in those days of lockdown? I don't know. Um, but the second, more pressing thing, of course, is surely the year 11s have, have seen that message. Yes. So what are they thinking? So I kind of thought for a moment, I thought maybe I can just just wash this aside as if nothing ever happened. I just thought it's just not possible that there won't, won't be a few people that didn't see that. So um, so I basically decided just to raise the point. I just there was a kind of a, a minute's worth of silence. And then um, I, I said something like, you can now rest assured that my family are more embarrassing than your family. <laughs> um, so, and then surprisingly, actually, nothing was said at that moment. No mics were turned on. I mean, um, you know, obviously they can have quite good structures that we've kind of built up in the other lessons. But I thought because this was quite unprecedented, I thought the mic would turn on and someone would say something. Um, but no one said anything. And then, but when we got into, back into the Google Meet at the end and I asked anyone if they've got any questions, as always, um, one one girl didn't put a question in there, the queue in there as normal. She just put, don't worry, sir, my family are much more embarrassing than yours. <laughs> um, and then a lot of them signed off with a similar comment there. So, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was it turned out to be quite funny. Um, but, yeah, being in a new online learning environment certainly presents a, a kind of level of an experience and certainly makes me feel a little bit like being an NQT again in some in some ways <laughs> that's fantastic but again it's it's those moments that happen in uh, in, in other forms in the classroom in front of kids and they're they're the moments that, that build the relationships and stuff and it's it's nice to have those things things happen and, and respond to that that's great that dad anything else that isn't working well um yeah I'd, I'd say that I think I think because of my personal scenario and also because the, uh, the school, the school that I work in, um, I have to say, I mean, just hats off to the leadership. I mean, we, we were preparing for a long time before we went into lockdown. Um, so we, you know, staff meetings, math department meetings, discussing exactly how we'd play things out. Um, and so we, we were very well prepared for this. So I did have quite a long time to not only with like doing a lot of online lessons myself over, over the course of the year, but also just in terms of preparation time with the school, it just it was it was very strong preparation. So um, apart from just the standard tech hitches, I have to say that I wouldn't say that there are any. Is there anything that I can think of that's terrible? Okay, okay. Again, I, I would have put a fiver on that differentiation was coming there, but you, you, you're leaving me hanging <laughs> on. This is good. And um, what what's changed as time's gone on then, Dan? So I think we were saying just just off mic at the start, you're probably a week ahead of this than than, um, yeah. than most UK teachers. And what what have you changed in that time? 
Yeah, um, well, so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll bring up the differential. Nice. I've got, I've got it, I? Um, so, you know, I have to say, um, and this this isn't something I've really done much of even even yet. I've just kind of started off over the last two days, um, but I plan on doing a lot more next week. Um, so I want to, I want yeah, I definitely want to differentiate a lot more by kind of the length of the task moving forward. Um, and what I mean by that is, is and, I, and I've said already that I, I standardly use Dr. Frost tasks and, and my, my math tasks as well. So when I set a Dr. Frost task, for example, I mean, really straightforward, just essentially specifying to specific students um, to only do half the questions. Um, I can see that they've done those questions and then ask them to come online uh, before we we meet up to discuss also Maya maths um the homework normally has two slides um i think in fact every single case it has two slides um but i've been, just been asking kind of select students to do just what the first slide take a screenshot of it saving it uh and then and then marking and submitting it but because i already know that they're only doing one slide then then that is that that's something we already agreed upon and then they can come back into google meet if they need to and we can discuss any struggles they might have had if, if they need to um but what I would say um, is that any people, uh, if any, anyone at uh, my, my maths or my maths listening, it would uh, it would be very helpful at this time to have like kind of a, a half task function built in <laughs> so that you could set full task to, to kind of certain students and then a half task to other students. Uh, that would be really helpful. Um, one thing, again, that we're just coming into now is the issue of running kind of, of tests, you know, unit tests and things. Um, and so... What we're, what we're thinking of doing again, just, just to help ourselves, is to run, is to trial Dr. Frost uh, maths topic tests. Um, again, just massive shout out to, to Jamie Frost for everything. You must be like the busiest man in the world right now. Um, but uh, yeah, we're trialing that. The only thing we're worrying about there is that um, when you've got kind of the four or five mark questions, then students either get zero marks for getting it wrong or four marks for getting it right. Um, there's kind of a, a binary mark issue mm. play there. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I don't want to put anything else on to Jamie Frost. <laughs> He's so busy already. But if it's possible to have a working out box alongside the final answer box, just for topic tests, then, um, then yeah, then if Jamie Frost is listening, that would be that would be incredibly helpful. Well, he's uh, I'm pleased to say he's coming on the show uh, next week, so I'll, I'll put I'll put that to him, Dan. I'll say Dan Pearcey says you're not doing enough here. Now, now get this, get this. <laughs> uh, that's that's, fanta- that's fantastic. And um, how, how are your kids finding the experience, Dan? And I'm interested both from a kind of learning perspective and also just do you get a sense of how they're coping kind of mentally with with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine it's, it's a completely mixed bag. Um, some are, are actually loving it. Um, others, you know, most. I mean, I think normal distribution-wise, I think uh, the majority, like the the sixty-eight percentish, are managing okay. Um, and then you've got some at the the lower end of that curve that just that are just are not coping at all. I think that's few and far between people that students are just simply have just fallen apart. Um, but it is happening. Um, What's what's kind of what I've done is um, and I'm glad I did it. I didn't. It was kind of look. I didn't really think through it in the way that I should have done. But I just in the first week, I, I was just really interested in, in how the students were, were finding things from, from an emotional standpoint. So at the, at the start of the start of most lessons, um, really, really informed data. But basically, I asked them to in the Google Meet chat, chat bar, I asked them just to write one word that best represents how they're feeling today. Um, so, um, so for week one, 
we had a mo- and this again I didn't actually count this but we had a mode lancer of uh, you know what I've got the mode lancer here answer here but I'm wondering I wonder if you can guess what do you think it was for week one and what was it sorry this was this was a, a number based system were you going for here sorry so, uh, so I was I, I, yeah I wasn't very I wasn't very clear with my rating system it was just, <laughs> it, was just it was just one word that one they, word how they were feeling today yeah Ooh, uh, um yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go for OK. I'm going to go for. Yeah, you know what? That's 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 not bad. Actually, most of them was we had a, a lot of goods. A lot nice. of goods. I think the mode Lancer was good. Don't be wrong. There was the you know, OK was the close second. Sure. Um, but then week two, it did. It there was there were many more OKs. Wow. And quite and quite a, and then and then a few little tires sneaking in there as well. Jeez. Um, so a few tires and then week three now. Um, I have to say, it, the overwhelming response is tired. Mm. Uh, and obviously, they can see each other writing these comments. So there's, you've, got, you've got a bit of a, a validity issue at play here. Um, but, you know, just, just from an informal point of view, I think um, it's starting to worry, worry me now, this, the number of tireds that are coming up. So do with that what you, what you will, I guess. It's, it's interesting, Dan. This is a conversation me and my wife were just having completely separate to, to this. Just... The sense that, like, it's, it's kind of, everything's all right at the start, isn't it? It's a bit novel. You think, oh, you know, it's exciting. You kind of get the honeymoon period of, of any kind of change that gets brought into place. But then what, what what's happening for us now, just as a family, is the reality setting in for us that this, we're in it for the long term here. This this could be, we're not talking weeks here. We're potentially talk, talking months. And I think that that's what's going to happen with, with the students, right? They're going to start to realize that, yeah, this isn't just like a little unique experience that they're going to have for a couple of weeks and then back into school and everything's back to normal. This this could be the new normal for, for, for the remainder of this academic year. And that's quite hard, isn't it? Like it's hard for anybody, but for, for young kids, for, for that to start to dawn on them, you can imagine that, that spirits start to dip, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I kind of I've been, you know, thinking about this a little bit, especially especially this week, given just the sheer number of tides coming out <laughs> on, that, on that platform. And um, yeah, I I, uh, I mean, I think that the, the next step is to try and get a little bit more data on it. Um, so, you know, is it just because of like exhaustion of being online all day? Is it is it going to bed too late because, of, you know, maybe because of too much screen time? Um, is it not enough exercise? I mean, to be fair, it's probably a combination of, of all those all those things. Um, but then, then at that point, what do you do? And, and ultimately, I think probably, I, I hate to say this, but I think the only thing that you can, maybe can do is, is well, obviously educate the students as much as possible, but but also try and activate the parents on this one. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've got to got to put in there straight away that it's a very very hard time for parents. Um, so I'm not saying we should activate them on every single aspect of online learning. Um, but there will there will be many students out there that really really need help with this one, and they need a bit of oversight. And um, and so if I was to pick anything, just to ask parents to do, it'd be it'd be you know, and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's it's almost impossible in some cases, but just to help help the child reduce their ty- tiredness level somehow. Um, I, I, the only reason I say that is because I'm a responsible adult, and I, and I'm struggling with it. Um, yes. but, the data definitely suggests uh, from, you know, the informal data, as I say, this suggests that the students are struggling with that, too. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, just to bring things together uh, to an end, Dan, just a few reflections from you. Um, is there anything about distance teaching, uh, for want of a better phrase, that you prefer to in the classroom teaching? 
um, so again, I mean, I listened to Ben's Ben's uh, Ben's podcast, and, and I know he said a, a very unequivocal no, and uh, and I think I'm right there with him. Yeah, just just no, um, not not from a teaching perspective, anyway. Um, ultimately, if you love teaching, then you you're probably gonna you, you should love interacting with students. Um, and and you know, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm learning loads, but I, I personally just don't draw the same energy from teaching online as I do face-to-face. Um, but then having said that, from a family uh, perspective, from an environmental perspective even, uh, it's a completely different matter. Seeing more family is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, I should say 99% of the time, it's amazing. <laughs> um, you're the 1%, I won't discuss that one. But yeah, I, no, no, I don't think so. That's fair enough. But um, you're trying to draw some positive here, Dan. Do you, do you think this experience will change your classroom teaching in any way? Uh, yes. Yeah, it will. Uh, not a lot, but but small changes, I think. One thing that uh, I definitely want to change is I want to I've kind of stumbled across kind of allowing students to do open reflections. So normally I just have students kind of self-explain or reflect privately. Um, but I, what I did, I just shared a, a Google spreadsheet for reflections after a Dr. Frost homework. And then I, I kind of it just hit me that the level of the reflection, reflections were just much superior in quality to what I would normally see in students' books. Um, just for, for obvious reasons. I mean, they, they had good good models to draw upon, bad models to steer clear from. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so open reflections I, I want to do more of. Um, on the flip side of that, I really need to think how I can I can kind of get more whole class responses using tech, tech like poll everywhere. Um, although that's not going to be an easy one to implement, so I, I need to I need to think about that. But I, I'd really like to do that more often because, like I said, I actually feel like I'm getting more whole class feedback now. In an, um, I mean, and don't get me wrong, there are there's the body there's the, there's the kind of visual lack of visual stimuli, lack of being able to see students' faces is hard, and you get a lot from that, but the, these responses from the Poll Everywhere app are, are definitely a bit of a game changer for me. I need to think about how to implement that. Fantastic. And um, finally, and your answer to this might just be to, to do your five principles again, Dan, but it's completely up to you. And what will be your key pieces of advice or tips for teachers, all of whom find themselves in this similar situation? Yeah, well, I thought because um, because I've been making videos for, for quite some time um, that I thought I'd kind of give a few tips on video making in this this part so fantastic um so just just what i've learned over, after, after after doing it for, for quite a number of months now uh so number one um try not to fall into the trap that i fell into when i started doing it uh which was just basically being way too serious in tone um so we've talked about relatedness already but i think using humor really relating to your students is key uh, otherwise you might as well just be giving them a video that's already online i mean there's, there's enough videos online that you should be able to find one. So if you're making one, you know, try and make sure that you you, you put a bit of humor in there and, and make sure that you're yourself, basically. Um, the second one, uh, second tip is, is I would say try and go a little bit quicker with video instruction. Um, I always think kind of the 1.25 times rule, 1.25 times the speed, <laughs> um, because, you know, ultimately we have benefit here that, uh, that we don't get in normal classrooms, that the students can rewatch parts of the video um so be very clear be very direct and just go maybe a little bit quicker than you normally would and what i would say there actually if you want if you want a, a, some great examples in action and i was lucky here because in september i looked at this last september um 
Get yourself onto a free trial of Uplearn and watch some of Chris Bolt's, watch some of Chris Bolton's videos. Um, maybe watch some of the A-level maths videos or something. And uh, you will just you will see supreme clarity and you'll see you'll see some in interactivity as well. Uh, but you'll also see a, 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 a nice quick pace to that as well. And, uh, and not only that, but um, if, you, if you've got time, which you probably don't, <laughs> you've got time, take a look at um, Richard Meyer's principles of multimedia learning. Um, they're really helpful to look back at when you're when you're creating videos. Very similar, to be fair, to kind of to um, effects of cognitive load theory. But yeah, Maya's principles of multimedia, multimedia learning. Take a look at those if you can. Um, and then the last thing: um, try not to have everything kind of clearly presented on like a PowerPoint screen or, or a Google slide. Uh, try and write in the moment, uh, draw in the moment to, to kind of reduce cognitive load and draw attention to exactly what you want to draw attention to to keep engagement. Um, this actually, this is something that I found uh, quite helpful when I was starting off on my journey of online, making online lessons. I think it's called the dynamic drawing principle. It's one of Myers, Richard Myers' later multimedia principles. Um, and uh, and so when you, when, you, when you do dynamic drawing in the moment or writing in the moment, you draw attention effectively. Um, and also that reduces planning time. So um, incredibly helpful there. So they would be my tips for uh, making videos for those people that are making videos. Fantastic. That, that's super useful, Dan. And just before I, I, I let you go and bring this to an interview to an end, um, I've got to give you an opportunity to, to talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, Dan, <laughs> tell, tell us about your book and, and wh where people can get it from. Yeah, no, thanks, Craig. I very much appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I will just say, I just want to say a few little thank yous, actually, if that's OK. Sure. Uh, on this platform. Um, just, just a huge thank you to those people that, that read very terrible early first drafts. Uh, that's Jim Noble uh, from uh, Toulouse, who is my colleague at InThinking, and uh, and Anne Howarth, my old my university mentor for, uh, in Manchester. Uh, thank you to those people, and uh, just a huge shout out to, to Mark McCourt. Um, I don't know, I don't even know how he had how he found time. He's, he's quite a busy guy, as we all know. I uh, found time to read the book, give me feedback, and write a forward which unfortunately is better than the book itself. Um, <laughs> so that's turned out to be quite embarrassing. Um, but um, anyway, thank you so much to those people and thank you so much to Mark. Um, yeah, so obviously published through, through John Cat, so, and that's available to pre-order right, right now on John Cat. I think they've got a bit of a discount going right now, so uh, get in there while you can. Um, but yeah, the book, um, what, what is it about? It's called Mathematical Beauty, um, so a very clear name. And essentially, it started, um, it started from a conversation in the staff room. Uh, someone basically just asked me to explain mathematical beauty to them. And, um, and I basically did a terrible job of trying to explain it. Um, and what's funny is when, when I went away, I, I actually thought at the time it was I was doing a great job of explaining it. And then I, kinda, and then I realized that when I talked about a fractal or Euler's identity, all, all the kind of standard things that people talk about with mathematical beauty, I realized that you know, he had no reference frame. He had no background information or experience to really understand what I was talking about. And so I went, I, I read lots of books, loads and lots of books, loads of articles for the first few years um, when I was, when I, when I thought about, you know, doing this. And, um, and yeah, and it, it very much dawned on me that, that people struggle to, to explain mathematical beauty. Uh, it's obviously very complicated. So it took me five years on and off. Um, to provide some some structure to that, uh, to refine a few points, add a few points here and there, um, but basically it aims to help almost anyone understand why mathematicians find our subject beautiful. Um, 
And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if you don't mind, can I say a few more things? Or Go on, go on. Um, <laughs> I don't want to bore people with this. I'm boring myself, so um, <laughs> no. I will, I, so I'll also say that uh, one thing that you're told not to do when writing a book, um, which is basically uh, have lots of different, to, to, to only have one person in mind when, when you're writing it. And I had lots of different people in mind. I basically had A-level students, IB students, AP, you know, AP students in the States that are thinking about applying to uni uh, in mind. I've got math teachers in mind, mathematicians, um, beauty enthusiasts, even TOK teachers. That's the, uh, an IB teacher. Basically, loads of people. Um, so that's probably going to come back to haunt me. But uh, but I guess um, <laughs> I guess the main thing is that my mum likes it um, and, and my wife as well. Uh, actually, to be honest, neither of them have, have read it, so uh, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. Um, anyway, it, yeah, it basically builds builds up to a framework for mathematical beauty. So I provide a new framework for mathematical beauty, um, and then a script at the end that anyone can follow uh, to explain mathematical beauty. So I think I think if you love maths or if you teach maths, it's quite a handy thing to draw upon. Um, and what I'm really hoping is it that gives students and teachers kind of a deeper appreciation just beyond the curriculum and then crucially uh, gives them kind of the understanding they need to, to pass on that beauty and excitement uh, that, that mathematicians find about mathematics onto other people, basically. So that was that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Fantastic. That's a great pitch for that, Dan. I like, Thanks. I like that. Thanks. I'm very much looking forward to, to reading the book uh, myself. And thank you, Dan, for, for giving up your time today and sharing your perspective. It's, it's very much appreciated. Thank you, Craig, so much. And also, I, I will just say thank you so much for the podcast. I've benefited hugely over the years, so I, I hugely appreciate uh, everything you've done.